Will and Evelyn Freeman set out for Grinnell in 1980. They had never been to Iowa or heard of Grinnell. Forty years later, they found a home and impacted generations of Grinnell runners. We could take it slowly Or we could get insane No one ever got anywhere By playing it safe This is All Things Grinnell. I'm your host, Ben Binversi. On today's show, we talk with Will and Evelyn Freeman, longtime Grinnell track and cross-country coaches, as they enter their last season of coaching before retiring. They reflect on what Grinnell has meant to them and share memories from years of coaching, mentoring, and learning. That's coming up next, after I remind you that the information and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the views of Grinnell College. An era is coming to a close in Grinnell Athletics with the retirement of Will and Evelyn Freeman. They've coached at the college since 1980. Will leads the men's teams while Evelyn coaches the women's teams. Together, they've led the pioneers to over 50 Midwest Conference championships. But those numbers don't really do them justice. They like to win, sure, but they're focused on a much more holistic picture of success, one that's earned them generations of devoted student athletes and alums. Evelyn was born in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Will is from Lexington, Kentucky. They first met at a track meet in Ontario. I was a high jumper, Will was a pole vaulter. Um, A month later, I went down with my team to the University of Florida, where Will was living and training. And um, he asked me out on a date. (laughs) I said yes, and the rest is history. Uh, We were freshly married after spending a year in Toronto um, training and competing and while she was finishing her second degree at the University of Toronto. And so we ended up going to uh, Florida on our honeymoon without any job in the future. Like, I was pretty concerned. And while we were on the trip, I find out that Indiana University, where I had applied for graduate school, and had not been accepted into the program, uh, had called. And an opening had not only occurred in the program, but an assistantship as well. So obviously we took that, drove back to Bloomington, Indiana, um, and that was it. I mean, we started with nothing, um, and I spent a year there in an accelerated master's program in biomechanics. I was working with... uh, Dr. John Cooper, who was sort of the premier kinesiologist uh, nationwide at the time. And so I was so happy to be working with him and uh, got the degree. And we, it was like the Olympic trials in 1980, turning in my master's thesis and driving to Grinnell all within days. <laughs> and, and it was just that quick that uh-huh. we came to Grinnell not knowing what to expect uh, having never been to Iowa and having <laughs> never heard of Grinnell College. so uh-huh. We, we yeah. weren't exactly looking for coaching jobs once he was finished his degree, but one of his um, classmates had noticed a position in the Chronicle of Higher Education that was advertised where they were looking for a married couple <laughs> to replace a married couple to coach track and field at Grinnell College uh-huh. in Iowa. And neither of us had heard of Grinnell College as a Canadian, I barely knew where Iowa was. Uh-huh. 
Um, anyway, we decided let's apply for the job, and we did our phone interview, and they flew us down, and um, it was quite the, the interview process. Um, our very first interview um, here at Grinnell uh, was with the student athletes, the track and field athletes, um, in a classroom in the old PEC. And um, we got out of that meeting thinking we just blew it because <laughs> every time they asked us a question and we answered, there was no response back from them. There was no <laughs> smile. There was no nodding. There was no frowning. There was nothing. So we didn't know how we did. Um, but apparently it all worked out. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Coming to Iowa without any conception of what you're kind of getting into. Um, what are each of your, your coaching philosophies and how have they maybe changed since you first started at Grinnell and adapted? Well, they've certainly changed, at least for me. Um, when I came in, it was, as you might expect, I, I was really good at this one thing in track and field, didn't really know about the rest of it, so didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. And, you know, a lot of coaching is sort of fake it till you make it kind of thing like anything else. You yeah. just got to, you know, plunge ahead and, and hope you learn by doing and for me, it was just the only thing I knew was the way I was trained and coached and at the D1 level. And, you know, that's a very different philosophy than here at Grinnell. And it took quite a bit of time for me to recognize that and change. I mean, it, it was going to have to be either change or leave kind of thing. And I was right on the cusp of leaving. I, I had made the decision that I, four years into it that I just, this is not the place for us. Mm -hmm. And um, was talked into staying by uh, John Fitch, who, you know, was a very important person in our life, uh, personally and professionally. And um, and I'm glad we stayed. I mean, it, it this place has taught me so much. I've been like the ultimate student at Grinnell. Hmm. You know, for 40 years we've been learning, and learning not just about the place, but also about ourselves and how we fit into this place. And I think the philosophy has clearly moved to a athlete-centered model where, you know, our job is to meet the needs of the athlete. Uh -huh. that, that's what it is. That's what coaches do. Yeah. And because every athlete is different and at a different place on the continuum, you, you have to adjust to their particular needs. Now, try balancing that individual focus with trying to put together a team focus where you're, there's a common kind of drive to a given goal. And that is not an easy thing to do, you know, to meet the individual need and also focus on the team thing. It's, as John Fitch told me, he said, you know, this, if you can coach here, you can coach anywhere because hmm. this is a very difficult place to find that balance. And, you know, fortunately, over time and through experience, we, I, I think we found it. Uh, we hope so. Uh -huh. The experience was a little bit different for me because um, the programs that I was with in Canada um, – even though they were a very high level, um, there was more focus on the growth of the individual outside of just being a good athlete. Uh -huh. And so um, when we first came, as Will said, we were very much nurtured and mentored by um, the veteran coaches here at Grinnell, um, specifically Ray Obermiller, the swim coach who had been here for a number of years. 
um, and who was also the cross-country coach, and also John Fitch, the athletic director. And there were many times where he would sit us down and, and talk to us about what was really important. And, and we learned not only from, from the mentors, but from our own athletes that what is really important is that we want to provide as many growth opportunities for our student athletes as possible. We want them to not only grow as athletes, but as strong, independent people, um, grow in confidence, grow in sportsmanship and teamwork, um, and, and learn a lot of the tools along the way to help them be confident leaders beyond Grinnell. Yeah. And so that, that has been our main focus. Um, we also um, have a very collaborative program. Um, just because, you know, we're the coaches doesn't mean, you know, it's our way or the highway. Um, we always ask our athletes to keep the communication process open between us so that they can help us be their best coach uh -huh. individually and as a team. Um, and it just seems to work out really well that way. Yeah, yeah. I was at the alumni reception. Um, it struck me that you really had an impact in more than just, you know, yes, you've been, you've had a successful program, obviously, and lots of championships, and, and that's great. But, you know, talking to a lot of the alumni, what stuck with them was really the growth that they saw in themselves as individuals, not just in the realm of track and field, but as a person. Yeah, it it really struck us. They, uh, a few of our captains had had communicated with the alums and invited them to write us a letter, uh -huh. and they presented it, it it to us at the at the luncheon, um, in a mailbox, and so we've been starting to go through some of these letters. Uh -huh. um, there's a whole lot of them. And personally, I can't really read more than like three letters at a time because it's very emotional. Mm. Um, what strikes me so far from these letters is that none of them talk about, you know, well, we won conference or we mm. went to nationals or I was all conference, you know, athletic achievements and success. It's more about, like you said, the growth that they had on along the way. And, um, you know, for example, this week and the next few weeks, I've, I've been um, focusing some of our training time, our practice time on, on our mental training and our mental skills and tools and the way we think and the, the, our choice of thoughts during the day, not just during practice. And and how we can be proactive in how we think and how that can affect our success, not just on the athletic field, but in the classroom and in life. And in those letters, there were so many of those little tools and stories and practices that we had used 10, 20 years ago that they remembered and appreciated and still use now. Uh -huh. And that's just so reinforcing to us to know that what we're doing matters. Yeah. Not just now, but beyond Grinnell. Yeah. 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 And, I, you know, we're in the business of athletics and we, 
we don't, you know, unappreciate success. I mean, we love, we prefer to win. Um, we've certainly won some conference championships, but it, that is secondary. I mean, it's, mm. it's, I don't even know the number. I mean, it's just not that important to me. Most of those trophies are locked up in a room in the bear somewhere. Um, and again, at, at the moment, when you're 18 years old to 21 years old, that's very important mm-hmm. because you're in, you're immersed in it. You're you've committed a big portion of your life to it, collectively with your teammates, and so that is a very powerful experience. But I can tell you, having been one of those athletes and having had success as an athlete, as time goes on, you begin to see how little that really matters. Mm-hmm. You know, it was fun at the moment. It was developmental at the moment, but it was about you taking charge of your own life. And that's the sort of the key premise, I think, in our program is this focus on, on moving from dependency to independency. Um, and, and I think they bought in. I mean, they, they love that here. They want to be the individual and think for themselves. And so to craft a program where you actually build that in and yet still can achieve something athletically, it's just been a joy. I mean, I, I am so glad we chose to stay. Yeah. Running sports, perhaps more than a lot of other sports, there is such a big emphasis on, on individual growth. But, you know, the camaraderie that they felt as a team was surprising to me. And I've, I've never been, you know, on a cross or track team. So it's hard for me to imagine what that would be like, but it sounded even better than the teams that I have been on where, you know, it is maybe more like a team sport generally like conceived as. Well, it's a little easier with cross country because you're all doing the same thing at the same time Uh in the same place. (laughs) It's a little more difficult to achieve during track and field where it's like a 10 ring circus where, you know, you got your throwers over here and your jumpers over there and your sprinters over here and your distance runners are running away. And so, um, that takes a little bit more work and we rely on our leaders, our team captains to try to, um, nurture that, that team camaraderie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. Track is more challenging. I mean, there's the different event groups are, there's different science and biomechanics behind each event. You know, distance running is a cyclic activity. You just, if you have good posture and you do it and do a lot of it over time, progressively, you're going to get better. You know, with, with the field events and the hurdling, uh, it's different. I mean, you you have to approach it differently. It's a different mentality that you're dealing with, with fast-twitch athletes versus slow-twitch. And um, But we always look forward to it. I mean, uh-huh. track and field, we, we get through cross-country season, we move into track, and, of course, that's our sport, you know, track and field. And so we always love finishing the year with that. And uh, by the time we get to the summer – we're pretty much done. I mean, we're, it's a year of nonstop coaching. And, yeah. Because and, uh, we don't have an off season. In no. fact, we overlap. Yeah. Cross country and track. So, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, we, we appreciate our summers. <laughs> and yet, I come imagine. late August, and here comes the cross country team back in town. Uh-huh. We are excited and ready Itching to go. To go. Again. Yeah. And they are too. Uh-huh. So, at a school like Grinnell, I'm sure you're acutely aware, and you were probably aware right when you started that. The term student-athlete, student comes first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know coaches here take that very seriously. For both of you, how did you and how do you approach coaching in maybe a more holistic way because of because of that? Well, I think that's the right word, holistic. It's a, it's always a balance. I mean, wellness is balance. And, and to 
keep people operating at their optimal level, whether it's academically or athletically, you're always balancing the two. Uh-huh. And I, the bottom line is uh, they're paying a lot of money to come here for the education. And granted, you know, we feel like our classroom, as it is, is different than most classrooms, but it's five days a week, sometimes six days a week if uh-huh. we're competing, and uh, it's valuable. But at the same time, I always know why they're here. I tell them that all the time. We know why you're here. So if you have to miss a practice or you're late because of a lab, it's just the nature of the place, and we'll work around it. Yeah, that's You have to do that. And we, we figured that out early on. We knew what we were into. Mm-hmm. After, after the first semester, I, my first thought was, wow, this is not the University of Florida. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult sometimes and challenging. But that's where, you know, the individual coaching comes in because you have to um, have some empathy for people who are sick or who have an injury or who have, a, you know, a presentation to make and have to mispractice. And so you just kind of figure out how to make it work. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have your team um, commitment um, plan in order um, that has been discussed and and shared and agreed upon that, you know, we are committed to our team and our training and each other, and we're going to, you know, try to fulfill that commitment as best we can at a place like Grinnell. Uh-huh. So when you reflect on your almost 40 years here now, are there any memories that, that particularly stand out, whether, you know, from the athletic side or, you know, just more of a connecting with, with students side? You know, when when I took over cross country, um, I, I had been coaching, assistant coaching football for four years, and a little bit of a fish out of water there. Um, <laughs> and and yet, I moved into cross country. Um, John Fitch had recommended that for continuity between track and cross, that maybe the same coach ought to do the both, and it made sense. But talk about a fish out of water. I mean, I knew nothing about distance running. I uh-huh. ran 125 feet down a runway, you know, and that was it. <laughs> so I had to, like, hurry and read and learn and reach out to people. And so that first year, uh, I had not recruited anybody. I was dealing with the students that came back. And we were, um, I think we were fourth or fifth at the conference meet. And the following year, with my first incoming group, we moved up to second, and they had not won the conference. This was 1986. They had not won since 1960. So the third year, I felt like, my gosh, I think we may have a team that could win this thing. And the meet was at uh, the University of Chicago, who was in the conference at the time, and George Drake was the president, and that team from 1960 was invited to come to Chicago to the meet, and Uh they did. They flew in to the meet, and George was there, of course. And uh, so I'm thinking, oh, my God, the pressure's on. You know, if we don't win this thing, these guys are back, you know, from – and it's been 26 years, and they did win the meet. And that's when I first felt like we can be successful here. Mm -hmm. One thing. That was one thing. The second thing was how much this meant to those – those the team, you know, that I was coaching that – they could do it in front of these alums, but also they were just giddy with excitement. Yeah, and that's when I knew, okay, we're developing something here in the team, the team aspect that may be able to carry us forward. And uh, 
of course, being the self-doubter I was, I, I asked Evelyn, I said, do you think we could win this thing again next year? It was like, I couldn't even for five minutes enjoy the win, uh-huh. you know, when I was worried <laughs> about the future. Uh, that's changed over time, uh-huh. you know, as I've learned to uh, accept that, hey, I think I can coach, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was a real highlight. I mean, that's when I turned the corner and said, you know what, I think we can succeed here yeah. at Grinnell. Yeah. At least me. Uh-huh. And another thing with that story is kind of the connection between your runners from, from year to year. Obviously, the runners from 1960 were not coached by you, but um, right. you know there is a sense of shared experience between runners from the 80s and, and the current students now. Well, you know, it is funny. The Friday night before that race, we kind of – the runners go to bed, and the former runners, you know, from the 60s, we went downstairs at the hotel and had a – had a drink at the bar and they were just telling me stories like how important the team was and how much they respected each other and felt obligated to each other to do the training for each other. I mean, all those things that you hope you have in a team program, they were telling me. So I was learning from those guys, mm-hmm. you know, I was new to this. Yeah, It was just a joyful experience and having George Drake there who basically hired us, you know, to experience that was really special yeah yeah there were many more to follow Uh (laughs) you know we have so many stories that will and i are actually thinking about writing a book Mm. because they're funny stories embarrassing stories (laughs) memorable stories stories of success and there's a there's just a ton of stories so we've started been we've been starting to jot them down Uh so we don't forget uh, when the time comes when we have time to write. Yeah. Um, probably athletically, um, the most memorable and successful year was uh, cross-country 2006. Um, the, the, the spring um, before that, that season, our, we always have a cross-country meeting um, just before the summer break, and, you know, there was a, a general hum about you know, we're so excited about next season because we really feel like we can do something special next season. And and um, a lot of times some of the women are afraid to even think that big. Mm-hmm. And it was really exciting to see that they were starting to think that big, not putting themselves up for failure or, or unreasonable expectations, but... I'm so excited. And that hum of excitement kept on going the entire season. Um, It was a special group of of women that were very committed to their training, very committed to each other, would talk every now and then about, you know, their their goals um, for the end of the season. And and we ended up winning conference handily. Um, we head up to St. Olaf for the regional qualifying meet to try to qualify for nationals in a snowstorm. <laughs> um, even George Drake went up to the meet to watch us, and we get to run seven runners at the qualifying regional meet. Six out of the seven placed in the top 35. The top 35 are all region. And I remember the seventh person coming in shortly thereafter, looking for more people in disbelief that all seven had finished in the top 
35 uh-huh. in the region, which is traditionally a very strong region. And like, I I kept looking for more people. Like, <laughs> anyway, they we ended up winning the regional meet pretty handily. And then going to our first national meet as a team, we had taken a number of individuals in the past, but we went to, to nationals. That was another interesting experience because it was in Ohio at the Heart of America Park, which is a flat pancake course, and it had rained for weeks there. <laughs> so the entire course was a mud pit. Uh-huh. There were parts of the men's course that were underwater. There were sump pumps out on the course. We had talked about how are we going to handle this running in the mud? What size spikes should we use? Those kind of things. And we ended up placing seventh at nationals, the best national finish of any team at Grinnell College, even now. Uh Um, Sarah Spencer placed third in the meet. A number of them were all Americans, and it was amazing. Yeah. The a funny little ending of this story is that we had brought big football bags with us for our gear and they were just covered in mud. Uh-huh. Our shoes were just <laughs> covered in mud. And we threw all those spikes into a garbage bag and threw them into the football uh, travel bag. And at the airport, we were so overweight because we were carrying so much mud with us back to Grinnell. Gladly paid the extra money for that. Uh Yeah. (laughs) We had a a really cool thing happen. It's interesting that our conference meet this fall is at Knox. And and, uh, back in uh, 20, I think it was 08, we ran at Knox, the conference meet. And they, the guys had come up to me, but we had a really good team. They came up to me and said, hey, coach, would you, uh, would you get one of these purple roo kangaroo tattoos? And because we're getting them, you know, on our thighs. And yeah. I'm going, guys, I'm too old for a tattoo. I don't, I don't. <laughs> well, well, what if we win the conference? Would you I go, guys, you better win the conference. You're the best team by far. Well, what if we win the regional, the NCAA regional? And I'm going, wow, you know, honestly, I think you're top ranked in the region. I, I think that's going to happen. <laughs> well, what if we perfect score the conference meet? Something that had never been done. Uh-huh. That's Which means you first, you're... second, third, fourth, fifth, perfect uh-huh. score. And it just doesn't happen at championship level. It doesn't happen. It, it, you could do it in a dual meet with an outman team or something, but you don't do that at the championship level. There's too many good runners out there. And I thought, you know what? If this motivates them to run really well at conference, why not? I'll, yeah. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> and so at the meet, you know, they came through the mile. We had like seven guys in the top nine. And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, are they going to do this? Well, they came through four miles. Four. And, I was at four and a half miles. So half mile to the finish line, here they come. One, two, three, four. And then our fifth guy was side by side with a St. Norbert guy and I just remember yelling at him go for it you got this because I knew he was fast and the St. Norbert coach was running alongside his guy screaming at him don't you dare let them perfect score us (laughs) and of course you know as history shows he did our guy did get the fifth spot and so I'm hoping they'll forget about the tattoo thing (laughs) and at the awards banquet that year they 
they usually give us something or, or uh, you know, uh, give money to uh, something that a we're charity. interested in, a charity, and um, which is always nice. And they said, uh, so here's your gift. And what it was was a prepaid tattoo for to <laughs> the tattoo parlor downtown. Uh-huh. And coach, they're waiting for us now. So <laughs> we're taking you downtown. And sure enough, I got the tattoo. And, uh-huh. and I really felt like part of the team. That, yeah. that, you know what, I'm pleased to be a part of this. And so many guys in the history of this program now sport these purple kangaroo yeah. tattoos on their thigh. Yeah. What was yeah. really special, too, was that they valued it so much that they had their one through five medals framed mm. and they gave it to will he's got it sitting in his office mm. yeah it's uh, it's right next to my door so people see it when they come and visit uh, prospective students and and i tell them i said you know th- this is what people are capable of when you do it collectively and there's their picture that they've signed and underneath the picture in the frame is the five medals side by side and it just brings a tear to my eye because th- it showed me that and they told me this that it's it's never about the medals. We don't need to keep these medals. They'll end up in a drawer somewhere lost. You know, but to show you how important this experience was to us, we want you to have this. And so I, every time I see that, every time I leave the office, I look at that picture, think this is what they're capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you have the situation right, um, you just never know. Well, the top runner that year was Henry Reich. And... Um, they went to nationals as a team. But Henry Reich had an interview, his final interview for the Rhodes Scholarship, uh-huh. the same day as the national meet. <laughs> so that was, that was a tough one for him. He didn't know what to do because, I mean, Rhodes Scholarship, final interview, that's yeah. amazing. What an opportunity. And Henry talked to Will and he talked to George Drake, who had been a Rhodes Scholar yep. as well. And, you know, we had told him, everyone had told him, this is your decision because this is a fantastic opportunity and we certainly won't hold it against you if you decide to go to this interview. And do you want to finish the story? Yeah, what happened, like his parents and, and his coach were pushing him to do the interview. This was, you, you just don't get this. This yeah. is a, and he was like, if there's ever been a candidate that could get a Rose scholarship, it was this guy. Oh, he was amazing. He was amazing. And so he ended up making the decision and then sending an email to the team and myself why he chose to go to the national meet and not go to the interview. And basically, it was something to the effect, I just tear up every time I think about it, that how much this team meant to him and that a Rhodes Scholarship was not going to define him, but his experience with these other runners would define him and that he didn't want to give up the chance to run with them one more time. And it was just a remarkable thing. Now, of course, he's ultra successful as the guy who's behind Minute Physics Uh and Anyone that gets online and looks up Minute Physics, that's Henry Rice, and he's like a rock star yeah. internationally. And it just goes to show you, you know, you never know the direction you're going to go in life, and Grinnell prepares you uh, whatever that direction will be. Uh, he, he's a very special guy. Hmm. So yeah. I know, Will, you're big on, on journeys and the concept of journeys. I'm wondering what, what this journey of, of being at Grinnell for the past almost – 40 years has meant 
to both of you and you know when you reflect on on your time here um you know what stands out and and why have you ended up planting such such deep roots here and sticking around for so long yeah i that's a good way to put it i mean we we do have roots here now we raised our children here we uh, have had success as coaches. It, it, the job has, regardless of the athletic director, and there's been several for us, we've always had the freedom to run our program the way we think it needs to be run. Um, we've been able to do things outside of our work with the athletes, like writing books and traveling and doing things that are important to my growth, you know, my journey. Um, and that, I'm not sure that would have been that way anywhere else. You know, Grinnell is just a unique environment and uh, for the students, of course, but also for us, you know, as faculty members, uh, it's remarkable to just talk with my fellow colleagues and uh, faculty from across campus at the coffee shop and realize, man, this is like a who's who of very special, talented people. And it's like a I just try to be a sponge, you know, and, yeah. and take it all in and learn from different people. And uh, it really has been a great journey, um, life journey for us. And, and it's not over yet. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've got things planned for the future for other writing experiences and, you know, walk the Camino next summer in Spain. Nice. Which has been a, <laughs> always been a bucket list thing for me. And I could see something coming out of that in terms of a writing project, too. So. Um, the plan is to do that with Keisho Scott, who uh-huh. she and I uh, taught a course together in American Studies about yep. life journeys. And um, so, you know, it continues. The journey continues. And uh, we may not be coaching, but we'll be teaching and doing other things that uh, that we're excited about. Yeah. And, and Grinnell has provided an opportunity and actually pushed me out of my comfort zone of being very quiet and shy and hmm. and uh, um, I've needed to be pushed out of that comfort zone um, where I'm not afraid anymore to to speak in front of a large group of people. Um, I feel like I've I have a lot to share and Grinnell very much promotes creativity of thought and ideas. I mean, you yourself have started this podcast and they have encouraged you that way. Um, So, um, you know, we are creative people Uh and um, Grinnell College doesn't very often say no to new ideas. And so that's another thing that we very much appreciate, their support um, when we have a new idea. And... uh, so as Will said, you know, when we're when we go on to senior faculty status, we want to create new opportunities for growth and learning, not just for our student athletes, but for the community and for ourselves, because we've had the opportunity to grow. And much of that has been from learning from our student athletes and uh-huh. our students in class. And no matter how old we are, we continue to grow. So, you know, we'll be having more time to attend concerts and talks and things like that where we just have not had much opportunity to do that. So that'll be a nice little transition as well. You know, as I reflect on on how we have changed over the years, I, 
you know, we, we found our voice eventually. You know, Evelyn clearly has found her voice, and she really was introverted early on. And um, so it's kind of been amazing to watch her develop. For me, it was more, you know, I, I had a voice. Sometimes I've voiced too much, you know. <laughs> and uh, as time went on, I sort of learned, you know, when to say something um, and that maybe less is more. You know, and that another way of finding my voice was through writing, mm-hmm. and writing projects, and 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 still feel like that. That's Grinnell has allowed me to do that, and yeah. I've found this other passion for writing that I feel like I can help teach people that way. You know, even beyond my coaching years. Yeah. Uh, so it's exciting. I mean, I, where we are in our journey is uh, we're still growing. Yeah. You know, and that's what's cool about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's a a great way to look at it. This is not this is not the end, but just a a transition, you know, yeah. a turn, making a turn on the on the road of your lives. So even though you'll be done coaching after this year, at least formally, um, it's safe to say your impact will be felt for for generations to come here at Grinnell and and throughout the world as all of the Grinnellians disperse. So thank you both for your dedication to Grinnell and the many students who've come through campus, and thanks for taking the time to talk about it. Our pleasure. Yes, it has been our pleasure. Will and Evelyn Freeman are coming up on almost 40 years of coaching here at Grinnell. After this season, they'll transition to senior faculty status. In September, a bunch of alumni came back to Grinnell for a retirement reception for Will and Ev. I talked with some of the alums and current runners about what Will and Ev have meant to them. They literally see us as their children. They designed their house to accommodate teams of people. They, like, they really prioritize making sure that people learn how to be brave and disciplined and strong together and supportive. And like this, this program has helped me learn those lessons at Grinnell more so than it helped me learn how to be a runner because I'm a pretty mediocre runner but uh-huh. it's like that's their priority and they're very successful at helping people grow and that's why they have had such a big impact here. Will and Ev are the type of people that you never forget like their personalities and the way they impact um, your life and the way you approach everything like beyond running is just kind of something that always sticks in the back of your mind. Uh-huh. Will and Ev showed like two really different ways of coaching a team and they did it together, which is really interesting, right? They're a married couple. And so they're a pair like coaching our two separate teams and like we interact with running in like different ways, but also like as a cohesive unit. And so while the men like might show up in like fancy new uniforms every year, the women have like our chocolate milk in the locker room every single Friday after a hard workout. And then Eb is like, she's so meticulous, right? Same thing every year. And you know, you always know what's coming. Affirmation week. And, you know, Ev shows up at practice with a smiley face printed on a piece of paper. And she's like, it's affirmation week. Time to affirm yourself. And those things, you know, they're small in, like, the action. But, like, really long-term in, like, your memory of them. Long-time, like, running jokes and things like that that kind of create a team culture. Yeah. 
I think that Will and Ev talk about an athlete-centered model and program, and I think that it's not just talk. Like, I know that that's true for them, and I always felt like an individual with them, and I think that's big. Because they have these big teams. They have how many, you know, they've seen how many athletes go through the program, but I think they know each person very well as an individual, which is, that's big, and that says a lot about them. The community of the team is what matters the most. Like, it's so much more than running. Um, and... I think being on the team really taught me how to be a woman and helped me discover and determine what kind of woman I wanted to be. So from the physical strength of pushing through really hard workouts to everybody is beautiful and we would shower together and you see like we all look really differently and we're all able to do this sport together was really empowering as a 17 year old um, to tea parties, to real talk on runs, to Everybody, like going to a team meeting and everybody's voice matters, whether you're a first year who started two weeks ago or you're a senior who's about to graduate. Uh, that was really empowering also. And all of those things coming together to mean, like, this is who I want to be. And it really helped me to define who I was and who I wanted to be. I think what Evelyn is really good at is seeing what other people's talents are and then creating an environment in which they can fulfill that strength to the best of their ability. So there was very much a culture of you do you. So she accepted us for who we were and saw the value in diversity on the team. And I am not a fast runner, but a self-dubbed captain of enthusiasm. Um, and there was a place for me on the team. And I think coming from high school where the top seven were on varsity and they ran one race and then everybody ran a different race, like there was definitely a divide between the fast people and the not as fast people and being on a team where we all ran the same races, we were all part of the same team, our practices were the same, um, and have treated us the same, whether you were winning the race or not, um, I think really made a big impact on team culture. All of the people who have ever run for them are still on our team, and all of the people that are gonna run after us are still on our team, and that made it a lot easier to graduate, I think, because it's like, once you're a beast, you're always beast. Once you run for Grinnell, you always run for Grinnell, and feeling a part of that is really special. Thanks to all the students and alums who shared their stories with me. During my time as a student, the only interaction I had with the Freemans was sharing the field house during baseball season. Their runners would sprint perilously around the gym while we hurled balls around. There were more than a few close calls, and it was a tenuous partnership at best. But now I've gotten to know them a little bit, both through these interviews and also by getting to know some of their current and former student-athletes. And those conversations have left me with a really strong sense that They've been a vital part of so many Grinnellians' experiences, so I'm happy I got a little peek inside their world, and I think we could all use a little coaching from the Freemans at some point in our lives. Also, a big thanks to the runners who invited me to join them for a liberating run in the cornfields that weekend. Thanks for letting me join the team, even if it was only for an hour. On next week's episode, I'll talk with Anya Grunman from the class of 1989. She's the Senior Vice President for Programming and Audience Development at NPR which is a fancy way of saying she's a big deal. Tiny desk, podcasts, you name it, she's got her hands on it. We'll talk about how she fell in love with public radio, her passion for music, and the spaces in between. That's next time on All Things Grinnell. Music for today's show comes from Brett Newski and Poddington Bear. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. Stay weird, Grinnellians. <laughs>